right, well, we made it uh, to the last beatitude, and I just want to thank you for your faithfulness to be here uh, through this series. It truly has been a blessing to me. I assure you, I probably gained more from the study than what you guys even um, received. Um, but let's go ahead and pray, and then we will, uh, we will get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for yet again a time to dive into your word. Thank you for your faithfulness over this series, Lord, to provide what was needed, uh, to provide greater insight into these characteristics of the one who will one day dwell with you for all of eternity. Father, would you be with us now as we dive into this last beatitude and consider the ramifications of what following you will mean for us in this present evil age? And may you be glorified in your name. Amen. All right, so we are dealing with, in this final beatitude, um, that of uh, persecution, suffering, tribulation, and this is probably the one, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, this is probably uh, the beatitude that to the world would be the most paradoxical, right? That those who suffer, those who are persecuted would actually be blessed. I, I don't think anybody in the world would think that that makes sense. Um, and what's interesting here is it's not just a blessing that's mentioned, but in some sense, these verses from 10 to 12 are one beatitude with, in a sense, a double blessing, almost an emphasis that you most assuredly are blessed if you are persecuted. So we read in these verses the following Starting with verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your, your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you recall last week, we basically started off uh, with a simple diagram, almost even this time, where we looked at these different aspects of the Beatitudes, right? Poor in spirit, uh, mourning, being meek. We have righteousness. We have um, uh, merciful, uh, pure in heart, And then peacemakers, right? And what we said that ultimately, what is taking place here is truly taking on the nature of Christ. That to us, Christ, in a sense, is each of these, right? If you remember, I drew this out. That we recognize our condition. We recognize our need for Christ. He is our righteousness. And then we then live in that manner where we are merciful, we are pure in heart, and we are peacemakers with the world. These are all things that are worked within us, right? But we come to this final beatitude that is still a blessing, but it happens from outside of us, and it's persecution. Right? If you really were to sum up the beatitudes, it would picture the righteous life, the holy life, being conformed to the image of Christ. And what do we read uh, from Scripture? If we want to turn over to John 15, verses 19 and 20. 
Would somebody like to read that? Uh, 18 through 20, excuse me. Right, and it's interesting here in verse 21 actually, but all these things they do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me in verse 21. Right, and we also, if you want, let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3 and then I'll read verses uh, 10 through 12. Paul says here, Now you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. And so what he does in a sense, he's like, you followed this, you've known my life, but it wasn't an easy life. There's persecutions and there's sufferings. You know of these things, right? But it's almost as if he adds emphasis to say that they're not um, to expect that they're not to encounter those things, right? He says this in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is a sure thing to happen. And what living godly in Jesus Christ looks like, in a sense, in summary form, are these characteristics here. It is taking on the nature of Christ. And so we must understand that we will be persecuted. Uh, we all know the verses. There's, I mean, in going through this, um, there are a plethora of verses throughout Scripture that speak of the persecution that Christians will face. Uh, I mean, all over the place. We'll hit on a number of them in various ways. I've kind of laid out the study. Um, I don't know how anybody would think that you're going to live your best life now, right? Like that you're going to be free of any type of issues in this life. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture is very clear. If you lay claim to Christ, but not just in name only, right? There's a living righteously. If that is what you are doing, you're going to be persecuted. And we see this throughout Scripture, right? We don't need to go through all the examples, but when was the first persecution? That's right. Right? Think of that. We don't have any record in Scripture necessarily of Abel interacting and, you know, preaching to his brother and so forth. But what his brother did see was his righteous life. And that actually caused him, in a sense, to rise up. He saw that uh, Abel was accepted, right? He wasn't. And then wrath poured out in, in taking of, of, of Abel's life. But there's more, right? I mean, it's Moses. It's Jeremiah. Think of in Daniel. The, the two examples we see there with Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. We see it with Daniel himself. The New Testament replete with examples. So not only are there examples, but it is also then spoken of as to what we can expect in this life. And so the way I kind of want to work through this um, is looking at what is persecution, right? Just simple definition but then also looking at what is persecution as to how it manifests itself in the various types of persecution we can experience in this life. After that, I want to look at 
the causes of persecution. What is it that we should be persecuted for? Because there's illegitimate causes of persecution that are not necessarily covered by this blessing or by this beatitude. And there are, there are legitimate persecutions that take place by which we are certainly blessed. Okay? After that, I want to look at our perspective of persecution. Okay? So how is it that when, how should we view persecution ourselves? Okay? And then when undergoing persecution, what is our perspective in persecution? So where should our focus be? And then finally, if there's time, and there may be, um, we'll look at the blessing. Because interestingly enough, um, the blessing is the same as the first blessing from the very first beatitude. And the fact that for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So first, what is persecution? How would you guys define it? Okay. Maybe in a Christian context, it would be opposition uh, against God and his people, through his people. Right. So there's, there's aspects where you can have worldly persecution, right? You see it going on all around us where people are persecuted um, for various reasons, and it's happened throughout history. But I think that that's key. Persecution in this case is persecution as a result of one's um, beliefs, right? Um, Beliefs specifically, you know, in Christ. We would understand that there's an idea, this word carries with it an idea of chasing or driving away um, or of pursuing. Uh, the idea of harassing somebody because of their beliefs. And we actually see this, uh, if you were to go back and, and read through Acts 13 and 14, even in what we just read where Paul visits Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, Right? And if you notice, they, kind of, they persecute him in Iconium, but not, uh, they, they kind of rose up against him, but nothing like physical is necessarily recorded. Then you see he goes to Lystra, and they follow him there, and then they follow him to Derby, where eventually he is stoned, right? And after that, actually, if we look at this, it's, um, he, he, he says essentially what would be a great summary for this, is afterwards he was, in verse 22 of chapter 14, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging, the, encouraging them to continue in the faith. They had seen what happened to him. And what does he encourage them with? He actually says, says to them, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So think, like if you are finding the Christian walk to be very easy, you're finding yourself to be spoken well of in the world in a sense because um, you're not living righteously, Obviously, you want to have a good conscience with the world. Some of that stuff we'll get into. But if you find that you're not facing persecution, then we should examine ourselves and how we're living, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that, right? Um, that's the danger. That's the fear. And so I find it interesting. He's, he, he was persecuted, and he's encouraging them, continue in the faith, saying, like, these things will happen. It is through many of these things that this will happen. So let's consider the types of persecution. Types of persecution, right off the bat, obviously, I think we all know of this one, right? Physical. Um, There's an aspect in which there are many around the world 
that are facing physical persecution right now. We're meeting in peace. We're meeting with freedom. And right now, there are people who are being physically persecuted for the sake of Christ. Uh, We read of this, right, throughout Scripture. I mean, it's everywhere. People whipped, stoned, uh, beaten, killed. Think of what we see in Hebrews 11. They were tortured. They had received chains and imprisonment. People were sawn in two. This is not like some, you know, saw you have in your garage where it's a quick, right? I mean, they are feeling every aspect of being sawn in two. And yet, they hold to Christ's name. That's, that's phenomenal. I mean, I pray the Lord would give us strength if we ever had to face that level of persecution that we would stand strong. Because it would truly be His doing, right? I mean, we would readily be like, oh, I don't have to undergo that. I mean, around the nation or around the world, people are being forced to watch their kids be murdered unless they denounce Christ. I mean, would we be resolved that if it ever came to that here in America that our kids, our wife, our children would know there's no denouncing Christ. There's no turning from Christ. What other aspects of persecution or uh, types of persecution can there be? Verbal. Verbal. We actually see that in this passage, right? Uh, We read um, in verse 11 of Matthew 5. I've got to get back there real quick. says this, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So you're right. There's verbal, and it's actually two types of verbal accusations taking place, right? One is insults or mocking, right? And the other is false accusations, um, you could say slander. So I want to look at both of these just quickly, right? We tend to think that persecution, and this is why I wanted to walk through this, because we can sometimes tend to think that persecution merely relates to the physical. That if we're not undergoing some type of physical persecution, then it's not really necessarily persecution, because we don't face physical persecution here by God's grace as of right now. There's no physical persecution in this country, for the most part. (laughs) But what we do face a lot of is verbal persecution, right? We face um, mockings and insults. And the various word study guides in related to this word of insults, um, it conveys an idea of upbraiding, scolding, reviling, or to bring reproach. MacArthur actually notes that it literally means to cast one's teeth so if you can get an idea of what that is saying, um, what, what kind of comes to mind is abusive speech, um, intense mocking, or even at MacArthur even titles it like vicious mocking. Um, and we see this throughout Scripture, right? Moses, in Hebrews eleven twenty six, we read of Moses, right? What did he do? What did Moses have originally? What's that? Well, no, I'm talking like in Egypt, what did he have? Yeah, he had his position. He had riches in Egypt. And what did he do? He denounced it, right? 
and he considered the reproach of Christ more valuable than the riches of, of Egypt. That word reproach comes from the same root as what we see here. So what we see is Moses considered insults, mockings, um, and, and whatever could be said of him, right, more valuable than, a, um, than what Egypt ever had to offer. Imagine leaving that position, right? Like you have everything in this world. Everything you could hope for in this life, he had. And he says, no, no, no. I'm willing to go be identified with him. Jeremiah, in, in chapter 20, verse 7, right? He recounts how he had become a laughingstock and that everyone mocks him. And obviously Christ, right? We read in Peter about him being reviled. We see on the cross, right, where they're saying, come down and we'll believe in you, right? Can you imagine they're mocking God, right? The one who upheld their very breath to say those things. And Christ endures. He doesn't revile back. He doesn't utter any threats, we're told. And so it shouldn't surprise us, right, when we're insulted or mocked. We just read that a servant's not greater than his master. How about false accusations? What's the key word in this particular type of persecution? That's right. False. What they're saying about us must be false. It must be slander. In other words, it can't be true, right? There must be a living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, in a sense, a manner that's above reproach, living above reproach isn't something that is just uh, something elders or pastors should do. We should truly all seek to live above reproach so that anything in which they bring against us like falls flat. Our behavior must be excellent. If you want to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, Somebody like to read First Peter chapter two and verse twelve. I'll read it by. Okay. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, it may because of your afflictions, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? What is that conveying? Benefit in what way? Yeah, I think so. I think that ultimately there's an aspect in which how we conduct ourselves when they slander us, that instead as a result of that, because of our good deeds, the Spirit can use that ultimately for their conversion. Yeah. Yeah. They see how he conducted himself. And we too need to conduct ourselves in the same way. But even if it doesn't result in their conversion, if we flip over to chapter 3, same book, who wants to read 16 uh, and 17? I believe I had here. Yeah, 16 and 17. Okay. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Yeah. 
For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Right, so we start to see here that what the, the language is similar, right? We see slandering, we see false accusations, right? The key, though, is that our behavior is excellent to where those things are not true, mm-hmm. right? And that ultimately, there's a, it's either maybe for their conversion, potentially, or it ultimately brings them to shame. You guys have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Mm. They avoid us. That's right. And, um, I think it was John 3, uh, 20, 21. For everyone who does evil hates the life that not come to the life. Yeah, they want nothing to do with us, certainly in the world. But think about from a social perspective the ramifications of husband to wife, son, uh, son to mother, daughter to father. Uh, friends being lost, jobs being lost. Um, you never really ultimately see like, oh, you lost your job because you're a Christian necessarily. There's a lot of lawsuits that would come as a result of that currently. Mm-hmm. But you never know the inner workings of what ultimately led to that. And there, there's always a potential chance that the Lord knows the motives and it could very well be as a result of your affiliation and connection to Christ. Right. And along those lines, you talked about, um, you know, kind of conforming or giving in. This is an area where it can happen the most, I think. When our livelihood is at stake, right, and we think we need a job to provide for ourselves, we're more apt to say, oh, I'll let that slide, and to not speak up. Now, there's an aspect of being wise and applying wisdom and so forth in those situations, but we have to be prepared to say, no, no, it's the Lord that ultimately provides for us. And there may be things that arise that are deal breakers. You have to take a stand, right? Maybe job interviews are on the line, right? And you're going in on a guy that professes to be Christian, right? And you're saying, well, no, what I see in Scripture is that homosexuality is not okay. And you're potentially putting aside your opportunity at a new role or whatever, because of where you stand. And it was nothing that you sought or pursued out. It just presented itself. And you couldn't not say anything, you know, in that case. I think there could be things like that arise. Okay. What are various causes um, of persecution? And I want to do it under two headings. Uh, Illegitimate. causes um i have one um covered by two uh verses both in peter um but it's what i've identified as in a sense suffering for wrongdoing right um Suffering for wrongdoing. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20. Let 
we read here, For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. Right? Let's flip over to now chapter 4, verse 15. We read this, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. That language of troublesome meddler is interesting, right? Because we just looked at peacemakers last week and we said that we should look to bring reconciliation between two people. That that reconciliation that should be brought in being a peacemaker isn't always just us to somebody else. But it could be like we see in Philippians, right? Where the two ladies were, right? And he called on a true companion to potentially assist. So what does troublesome meddler mean? That's right. That's right, an aspect of where like, we're kind of putting our nose where it doesn't belong, not for purposes of reconciliation, but maybe for purposes of gossip, right? And there could be consequences that come as a result of that. And if you suffer for those, that reason, you're sticking your nose in a sense where it doesn't belong. Um, that's not covered under this beatitude. How about legitimate causes? Unless, did anybody have anything else here? Anything else come to mind? That's right. I think, uh, I think uh, it's in the same lines as what you're saying, suffering for wrongdoing, but also like being a burden to society or being like, a, mm. like socially burdening. Mm. I think Emilio had preached on, um, even in First Thessalonians, where he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense that you can become a social a burden just by um, just by the way that you live and just being in need and and um, you know living in such a way that draws attention to yourself in an unrighteous way um, and not being dependent upon you know others to take care of you if you're not like, willing to work and things like that. I wonder if something falls under illegitimate in the sense of like should we go seek out persecution? Right, like we shouldn't necessarily just um, go and be like, "Well, it says I'm blessed if I'm persecuted. Let's do this," and like go rush headlong into persecution. Right? That's, yeah, I um, I think that wisdom needs to be applied, and I don't think persecution is something we should seek out. Persecution in and of itself is not a blessing. It's not something that we're like, "Oh, I want to be in a persecuted state." However, persecution is something that will happen to us if we're living godly. We won't need to go seek it out. Yes, it's not something that's worked in us by the Spirit, but in a sense, it is characteristic of a Christian. In the sense that that's right. Yeah, right, right. So, legitimate causes. Man, I always forget that S. Okay. Um, we have a couple that are mentioned here, even in this. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. And if persecution is not happening in our life to some degree, right? That's right. Something's wrong. Because by default, 
And that's why I think that's key is that we're, um, you know, if we're not seeing that, we should truly examine, like, how are we living? Is it really not that much different from the world? You know what I mean? They would see no difference with us, in us, you know? And so we see here then these legitimate causes of persecution. There's actually two listed in um, this beatitude. Right? Verse 10 specifically identifies um, righteousness sake, right? And... um, because of Christ. Now, I think that these, in a sense, I mean, these can be lumped together, dealt with together, right? Um, truly, if we're seeking to live righteous, um, we are going to be um, conformed to Christ's image. And if we're a Christian, we're certainly doing it because of Christ, right? But First Peter three thirteen and 14 says this, Who is there to harm you? If you prove zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. That goes right in line, right? Like, blessed are you if you suffer for righteousness' sake. And he says the same thing. If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. We've got to have that perspective that how the world views us, what they say about us, does not matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. When we're standing before God and have to give an account, the world's not going to be the one that's judging us. So what they think of us, their, 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 their opinion doesn't matter. Yet, 
Unfortunately, because of our flesh, it often matters far too, you know, far more than it should. And you may bring this up, but it reminds me of Mark eight thirty four to thirty five. It says, "And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake mm-hmm. and the gospel's will save it." Yeah, that's good. That's a good addition because I, I, don't, I don't have that, but that's good. I like that. Um, the other, though, for Christ's sake, why is this specification, this, this phrase, because of me, important? There's a value to it. Sure, he's glorified through persecution that we suffer, right? Right, I mean, he's certainly like, there's an aspect in which like he's glorified by the persecution that we endure, but I think that it excludes any persecution that's not on the account of Christ. Right, it's not just any persecution that is in view here. And so what's nice is that if any persecution that happens to people in the world, not blessed, right? How about people of other religions? Not blessed, right? But when we suffer for Christ's sake, uh, there's a blessing that comes about. And what's amazing is that we're not alone, much like what you're saying, right? He identifies with us in that suffering. And we see that with even Paul's conversion, right? When he's on the road to Damascus, what does he say? Who are you, Lord? And he says what? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's as if when they persecute us, they're persecuting him. Right? And there will be a great judgment that they will have to undergo as a result of persecuting Christ. So this leads us to our perspective in persecution. Now, I have three um, items that I've kind of identified and then some verses that kind of, you know, they were hard to break out between the three because you kind of see an intertwining of them all. So we'll list out the three and then we'll go through like, Scripture support for them. But um, our perspective, um, perspective of persecution. To the world, there's a, there's a stigma that goes with those who are like treated bad or, you know, persecuted, suffering, right? It's like the world wants nothing to do with them, right? It's not an honorable thing. However, with us, what should our perspective of persecution be? I'll start it off, and then we'll roll from there, okay? It should be, it's, it's a blessing, or blessed, right? That should be one aspect of it. We should understand that enduring persecution for righteousness' sake, on account of his name, as the Beatitude says, we are blessed. Do we view persecution that way? Again, we don't go seek it out because, oh, we're going to be blessed, but do we view it as a blessing? It's a gift. It's a gift, which we will get into uh, in that regard as well here shortly, um, because that's right. It is a gift. Um, I have specifically, as far as the headings go, um, we should feel, in a sense, honored or like, you know, filled with praise that we're accounted worthy to suffer for his name. 
Um, no one wants to suffer. People want to avoid suffering, right? Um, but we know that it's going to happen as a result of the life that we live for Christ's sake. And so we should be counted honored and worthy, and we'll see some scriptures that support that. And finally, even in this beatitude, there should be a state of rejoicing. Not grumbling, not complaining, not why, oh, why me, right? But in a sense, to have a perspective of rejoicing in persecution. So let's look at some of the verses. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 14. We've actually been in 1 Peter quite a bit. Would somebody like to read 12 through 14? You got that line? Sure. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Hmm. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's right. So, so think of what's being said here. Number one, the suffering and the persecution shouldn't have caught them off guard, right? And so when it happens to us, it shouldn't catch us off guard, right? We know what scripture says for those who live godly. And Peter reminds them of that. But look at this, it's as if they're weary from the persecutions, maybe the continued persecutions, and he, so he reminds them to keep on rejoicing. Don't grow weary in rejoicing. Don't start well under persecution, right? And then what ends up happening is it's gone on and gone on and gone on and wears on us, and then now we start grumbling and complaining. And so he reminds them, keep on rejoicing. And then he also tells them, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, so insulted, mocked, um, falsely accused, you are blessed. Right? So we see two of these here, this, this aspect of rejoicing, blessing, and why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you realize what we have in Christ? More than the world has to offer. How about Philippians 1, 27 through 29, if we want to turn over there. And this kind of gets to the idea that you were mentioning, uh, Chris. We read in this verse, 27-29, actually, let's just start with um, 29, only 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So let's look at the language that is being used here. Um, essentially, if you were to summarize this, you could say salvation is accompanied with suffering. In a sense, like what Emilio was even saying, no suffering, no persecution, potentially no salvation. Those things have to be looked at, obviously, so that's not just a blanket statement. But it has been granted, right? What, is, what about the, that qualifier, right? Um, it has been granted to suffer, to suffer for his sake. Now, this language of granting, what do you think that conveys? Yeah, in the, the, the Greek word used is actually to give freely as a favor or to give graciously. 
So it has been given graciously to us to suffer for his name. So as much as, right, what does it say? Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. So the same grace that's been given to believe in him has been given to us to suffer for his name. That's phenomenal. Like I had never, until I started like diving into this, like looked at that and said, wow, like the same. Like it's not just easy believism, okay, right? But if you believe, you're going to suffer. And it's actually a gift. Do we view it that way? That there's an honor, there's a, there's a worthiness there? And so we see this elsewhere, Acts 5.41, right? Prior to this uh, passage, uh, they were before the council, right? And they had witnessed and proclaimed Christ, crucified, risen, and through whom forgiveness could be found. And then what did they want to do to them? They wanted to kill them, right? And obviously they go, they go to Gamaliel, they get the, they get the counsel on how to deal with them, right? And ultimately what ends up happening is they are uh, beaten or flogged and told, don't speak in that name, right? And then in verse 41 we read, so they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted or considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So you see that similar language, right? They were rejoicing that they were considered worthy. I mean, that should be a privilege to us to suffer for Christ who suffered for us. So that's our perspective of persecution. We should view it as a blessing that we'd be considered worthy and we should rejoice. How about perspective in or uh, in persecution? Our perspective in persecution. See, because it's one thing to have, okay, this is our perspective, right, of it. Okay, if it happens, when it happens, those types of things, right? But what about when we're in it? Where should our focus be? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. This is um, a fantastic passage you read here for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal okay so look at the the comparisons that are taking place here how one how should we how should we view these persecutions right they're uh momentary they're light, right? What is nice to see, I guess what, what, what we're seeing here is that it is these afflictions, the key, the key phrase, if you will, is producing. It is the afflictions that we go through that are producing the eternal weight of glory that we're to then have in that day. And so they're momentary versus eternal. Light versus, you know, weight, which would convey heaviness, a, a true value to them. So the things that we endure, the afflictions we endure, momentary, light, what we gain is eternal and weighty. 
we gain Christ. And it is these afflictions that produce this for us. As far as which, which that what we gain, mm-hmm. or because of persecution, right? And then finally, Romans uh, eight seventeen and eighteen. Somebody wants to read those verses. Okay. So to me, the key word here is if. Right? Um, He says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. There's an aspect in which we must suffer with him. and, And that path, if you will, to heaven is the path of suffering. Right? Um, I like what one commentator said in regards to this, that the suffering is the indispensable prelude to glory. Like, it precedes glory. Christ modeled that for us. He was humiliated here on earth and then exalted in the heavens, right? And that is, in a sense, the same for us. We will be humiliated, mocked, insulted, persecuted in this life and in the life to come. Glory. And that's ultimately what we see even of the blessing. This is the same blessing that we see ultimately in the first beatitude. That of inheriting the kingdom of God. Um, It's as if the emphasis is made that whatever you had conjured up in your mind, right? Whatever people think like getting to heaven looks like, it's not the way the world outlines it. It's not an easy path as long as you're relatively good, right? No, no, no. You must recognize your true state, right? Be poor in spirit. Recognize who you are, that you have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Find your hope in Christ, then suffer for Christ, and then inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's essentially um, how I would summarize it, I suppose. Any comments or questions? Yeah? Oh. Go ahead. also gave us the example of how to suffer in first peter 2 mm-hmm. where we've been called for this purpose since christ also suffered for you leaving you an example mm-hmm. uh, to follow in his steps and because you know while he was reviled he did not revile that's right in return and so the character of christ is essentially what we should be reflecting in this world before the light that's right and um anyway uh, yeah in first peter we know how to mm-hmm. live um, yep awesome anything else 
institution that we were talking about in the beginning. Um, maybe, and maybe you can explain why we didn't have this on the list, but it occurred to me maybe spiritual persecution, because I was thinking of like, um, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Or is that just my charismatic background? Well, I don't know if it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's persecution. It's certainly spiritual warfare. Okay. And there's a battle taking place, yeah. right? Um, you know, that, that's going to happen, obviously, um, throughout our walk, right? But I think the, the focus here is specifically, you know, persecution we're going to face, like, in the world. Mm-hmm. I think what Anne brings up, though, is a good point, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, she's getting more towards, like, the yeah, it's not just of this world, right? There's a true, I mean, it ultimately derives from a spiritual battle that's taking place, mm-hmm. that's right. And ultimately, that makes sense, too, from the standpoint of the prince of this world, right? And his followers, mm-hmm. in a sense, following him and doing that. Yeah, because it says, you know, Abel, who started the, mm-hmm. the circle here. It's in First John chapter 3, right, that Abel was of the evil one. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, he's energized by the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? And I think a, a final thought too is just as Christ's final words and Stephen's final words, don't hold this against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to end. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, one's a variant. I don't know. <laughs> 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 All right, let's go ahead and worship.